0: Hey folks, before we dive into today's episode, we've got some exciting news for you. Mark your calendars for September 17th to 19th, 2024, because Bioport Atlantic is on the horizon. This marks the 23rd year of bringing together the brightest minds in the life sciences sector. This year's theme, powered by possibilities, promises to ignite inspiration and foster collaboration amongst attendees. Whether you are an entrepreneur, a researcher, an investor, for a student eager to dive into the world of life sciences, our conference offers something for everyone. Save the date, and for more details, visit life lifesciencesnovascotia.ca slash bioportatlantic, or check the link in our show notes. Can't wait to see you at Bioport Atlantic 2024. Let's talk about pharmaceuticals, big pharma, medtech, medicine, prescription drugs, whatever you call it. The pharmaceutical industry is more than just a business. It's a colossal force, a staggering one and a half trillion dollar market that fuses innovation, science and the relentless pursuit of improving human health. Every medical discovery represents a triumph over human suffering but even in our fast-paced world, where new innovations hit the market seemingly in the blink of an eye. Pioneering breakthroughs in the pharmaceutical realm requires careful nurturing, time, and meticulous precision. And often, what really propels the industry forward is a crucial but often overlooked force, contract development and manufacturing organizations, better known as CDMOs. Think of them as a sort of one-stop shop for pharmaceutical companies. They're the experts who handle the nitty-gritty of bringing new drugs to life, from the early testing phases all the way to producing them on a large scale. They make the whole process more efficient and cost-effective, allowing the companies to focus on what they do best, creating new, innovative medication to better our health. From Life Sciences, Nova Scotia and Snack Labs, welcome to New Wave, a podcast that explores the pioneers that are shaping the future
1: of life sciences. CDMOs or, you know, contract developers and and manufacturers, you know, 50 to 60% of all the drugs that are currently being being marketed are made by CDMOs. And there are different reasons for this, right? I mean, one is... um, You know, the the, the big companies, of course, they have a lot of manufacturing capacities, but there's a lot of companies out there who are completely virtual. You know, they're just people who have an idea Uh, you know, and they're going to bring it to market. Because think about it this way. If you have a good idea, your group of friends said, okay, you know what, this is actually great. I think we can can cure Alzheimer tomorrow, right? You don't have a factory. You don't have a company. You don't have a bunch of scientists and and operators and, you know, quality assurance and, and all of that to actually make this happen. So what would you do? Build your factory first? Hire all these people? No. I mean, that takes another 10 years, right? So you have, so you would find somebody who can make it for you. That's
0: Mark Sauer, the brainpower driving BioVectra's scientific prowess. As the chief science officer, he's not just leading the way. He's redefining how we perceive and encourage progress in the pharmaceutical world. We'll delve into his work and the role of CDMOs in just a moment. But first, let's peek
1: behind the scenes of his journey. My name is Mark Sauer. I'm the Chief Science Officer at BioVectra. I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for about 25 years now. Mostly worked in research and development, but I also uh, had an eight-year stint in in quality control. I have been uh, with BioVectra since 2006. started out as a research scientist uh, working at the bench. And then, uh, you know, moved, moved my way up through, through the ranks, you know, over, over the last 17 years. And I uh, was appointed chief science officer uh, in 2022, actually. So it's been almost like a year and a half now. Currently, I have a team of about 110 scientists and engineers working working with me. Or, you know, I, sh- I should say I have the pleasure of working with them. So once you hear about CDMOs and science guys
0: like Mark Sauer, it's sort of an, of course, kind of reaction that such manufacturing places exist for safety, consistency, and speed, to get the drugs on the market as quickly as possible. But it's a far cry from the very, very early days of medicine that was very much a fluke.
1: I think the way when I look at pharmaceutical industry, you know, it has, um, you know, it's, a, it's an ever-evolving field. It has really evolved from that not really understanding how things work, to to isolating things. You know, think about tree bark, um, you know that uh, has that's you know later people realized oh there's a there's a component in the tree bark that can help with pain and that became aspirin, right? So I think early on we were just kind of trying things out and oh I I take this or by sh- by sheer coincidence, you know probably somebody was hungry and said like oh I, all I have left to eat is this bark and it's like hey you know my headache is gone you know so so you kind of like a lot of trial and error. Uh, while then, let's say, you know, early 20th century, people were kind of understanding a bit more. And then, you know, when we look at pharmaceuticals now, you, you, you kind of have like two different fields. You have chemicals and you have biologics.
0: Okay, I promise you don't need a science degree for this one, even though it sounds a little science Chemical-derived pharmaceuticals, like common pain relievers or antibiotics, are created in labs and have a broader reach in treating various health issues, from headaches to infections, but they can have limitations due to their simple molecular structures. Biologics, on the other hand, such as certain vaccines, think the mRNA COVID vaccine, for example, or insulin, come from living sources and are crafted to precisely tackle specific cells, making them ideal for complex diseases like cancer, or autoimmune disorders. Biologics are where innovation combined with a better more thorough understanding of how diseases impact the body get really exciting and
1: will really revolutionize how doctors approach sickness. Chemical drugs, you know, they are they are derived through chemical synthesis. They are very discrete and let's say simple molecules that uh that can be made through through you know, uh very traditional chemi- chemical synthesis. Um, and then, you know, over the years, you know, this has evolved more, where we're trying to understand more how we can use biologics uh, and and how they can help target, you know, in certain ailments and certain diseases a lot better. Because when you look at chemicals, there's it's almost like a hammer, right? It's like a broadband application of, okay, you take this chemical and and it will t- it will attack, you know, a lot of different cells in your body at the same time. A great example of what Mark is talking about
0: is chemotherapy. Whether you've seen it in a movie or right before your eyes with someone in your own life, chemotherapy is clearly a shotgun approach to medicine. Not by choice, though. It's simply one of the best tools that we've got at the moment. And keep that in mind. We're going to circle back to that idea a little later on
1: in the episode. Chemotherapy, right? I mean, this is, you know, if you think about chemicals, this is most people have had exposure to... Uh, to somebody in their family or in their friend circle that has gone through a chemotherapeutic treatment, uh, you know, at at the core of that, the first line treatment up to today is, is is chemicals. But they attack everything, right? I mean, that's why you see a lot of side effects. Um, you know, think of cancer as a very fast-growing cell. So you give give a, a a chemical to these people that attacks every living or fast-growing cell in their body. While a lot of people would have hair loss, for example, hairs grow really fast, right? So so when you now look at newer, modica- uh, newer medication that is coming to the market, uh, and most of them are biologics, they're a lot more targeted. They can go after specific cells in your body. So, for example, uh, when it comes to cancer treatments, you know we can make uh, what's called monoclonal antibodies, uh, which is an artificial protein uh, through biologic processes that can specifically target the cancer cell itself and nothing else. So none of the cells that are surrounding it are being attacked uh, you know, so you have very, very minor side effects uh, in that. Uh, and it can, you know, either mark the cells or your immune system can, can destroy it and get rid of it, or it can even ask the cell to destroy itself. Okay, so calling the prospect of leveraging biologics
0: exciting is obviously a massive understatement. Diseases that were once a death sentence can be treated effectively, if not eradicated, if the right innovators are working on the problem. So what do you do if you have a big pharmaceutical idea and want to get it to market as quickly as
1: possible? Um, You have to be patient, you know, because from you having an idea and it actually being a marketed drug, uh, you know, that is available to the population, you can look at 10 to 15 years. Uh, So it's it's a lengthy process. This is probably something that you know is true in the back of your mind.
0: But if you're anything like me, you most likely feel that you have become so inundated with news headlines about breakthrough research or a product that just hit the market that it seems like all of this stuff is happening at light speed. Let's take a moment to peel back the curtain with a real pro, someone who has been working in the weeds of this enormous industry for decades, and get a sense of the labyrinth that a new pharmaceutical concept must navigate before it ends up in the hands
1: of a patient who needs it. So the first part, uh, which is which is called like the preclinical approach, is that you do some studies with cells. You can use some isolated cells, and you can expose them to the so the treatment. You see how they react, uh, and then most of the times you will go into an animal, like a rat or a mouse, and you see okay if I dose it, you know this amount, you know what happens, you know. And there's there's probably more drugs out there that had a lot of potential, but the side effects are so severe that. You know, you could never use it because, you know, it, it can treat the disease, but it would kill the patient. So, you know, that's kind of counterintuitive, of course. So so once you get to the point where you say, okay, you know, I've, I've put it in an animal and it's it, I, I can I can consider it safe, then you would have to convince an agency, a regulatory agency like Health Canada, for example, or the FDA, which is, you know, the government body in the US to say, I would like to start a clinical trial. This is safe enough to be put in a human. Then you would start what it's called uh, uh, clinical phase one. So you would start with a small population of people, maybe 25 to 50, and you would give them a very small dose of your treatment. And then you would see and look uh, for reactions there. And you're not so much concerned about does it work. You're just wanting to see like, okay, I hope it doesn't doesn't have too many severe side effects. So these are things that have been observed in these clinical trials. But the first step is to say, okay, it's it doesn't kill the rat. And then you, you put it into human and say, okay, in a small dose, the side effects are not not too severe, or I, and, and then I can proceed to the next level. So at the next step, then, it's called uh, efficacy. You want to see that it's actually effective because you, up to now, you only know that it's safe, but then you maybe want to work with actual patients, you know, that have the disease and you want to dose them and see, okay, does it actually do what I think it, it's supposed to be doing? Does it actually help? Um And that is usually a larger patient population. Uh, And and if you get through that, then you get into phase three, where it's a a randomized trial um, with a larger uh, population where you kind of look at the broader safety uh, 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 profile and also the the effectiveness of the drug. Because just because your drug does do something doesn't mean it should be launched because if something already exists in the market that it's better, you know, there's no point bringing it forward because nobody would buy it. Driving innovation in modern medicine is
0: evidently very time consuming. But for the bold thinkers with big ideas, the payoff for humanity is tremendous. But let's pause the scientific jargon for a minute and dive into what all of this means you know, for real at, people. At this
2: time, I probably am still a little bit stunned at the whole thing, right? That, you know, you start a career somewhere and then all of a sudden it ends up saving your life.
0: Meet Joanne Condon. Picture this. Nine years deep into her career, crunching numbers, bouncing sheets, and steering the administrative ship of one of our unsung heroes, a CDMO by the name of BioVectra. Then, out of the blue, she listens to that little voice in her head and decides to push for a routine mammogram. No symptoms, just a gut feeling. Wild, right? But that's Joanne, gutsy and determined. Not just in her career, but also when it comes to her health. Little did she know that this one decision would kick off what she calls a roller coaster of hell, reshaping not only her life but also the lives of those around her.
2: You know, I was 37 years old, working at BioVector for about, I guess, 10 years at that point. Um, Had my two children, 5 and 11 years old, and we were just, and my husband, and we were just going about life, you know? Kids in school, kids in activities, sports, everything else. Um, But something I did have always in the back of my head was my mom was, uh, is a breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed when she was 49 years old. So I've always had that since of about 30, my doctors always told me, you know, you need to watch for this. Her type of cancer was aggressive.
0: But to her surprise, when she requested a routine mammogram, her third since turning 30, the hospital simply said, no.
2: So of course you have to be proactive. your own thing. I've always had mammograms, 32, 35, 37 came around, you know, just that, you know, every two years went to my doctor. Yeah, you should have your, you know, we'll do this every two year mammogram. So got the rec to go to the doctor, got a call from the nurse and the hospital said, nope, we don't want to see you till you're 39 because that's 10 years onset of your mom. I wasn't having issues. I was just being my own advocate because you have to be (laughs) Really what happened was, I was annoyed, obviously, when I got off the phone with my my nurse, and my nurse wasn't very happy either. But I I called my sister, who was a few years older than me, and I just kind of ranted a bit uh, to her. Um, And she said, oh my goodness, and I said, what? And she said, we just had a lunch and learn at my work, and someone came in talking about breast cancer. It was just something that was in. And the lady that put it on said, if you ever have any questions, contact me. My sister says, I'm going to call this lady and I'm going to tell her what's going on. So sure enough, she did. This lady called the hospital and got me a mammogram. I was like, wow, that's amazing. In a
0: different area of my work, I talk to people who are spread all across the spectrum of illness, mental and physical. If you forced me to tell you the most important thing I've learned throughout hundreds of conversations, it would be the importance of being your own advocate when it comes to your healthcare.
2: I never once thought I had breast cancer. So here I am off to my mammogram and like that started in January, February, and then I just started doing, you know, mammogram happens, next mammogram, biopsy, April 10th diagnosis with breast cancer I wasn't having issues I was just being my own advocate and standing my ground or thinking I was standing my ground and just trying to get myself through to to do what I was always told to do Um, but wasn't feeling different wasn't having issues but and then that day just changes your life forever right young kids things start going in your
0: head. Just for a little perspective, almost 30,000 women are diagnosed with breast cancer each year in Canada. And about 5,500 will die from it. In the U.S., that number is about 240,000 cases of breast cancer in women and about 2,100 in men. 42,000 women and 500 men in the U.S. die each year breast cancer.
2: But the other moment that did happen while I was going through all that before I actually got the diagnosis was you had had to go for a biopsy, which is really one of the last things they do, you know, to get that diagnosis was there was a lady in there with me. And uh, she came in and she says, my goodness, she says, you're awfully young. And I'm like, well, you know, yeah. But she says, how did you end up in here? And I looked at her and I asked her what her name was. And she told me her name. And I said, You got me in here. The lady that was at the lunch and learn with my, that put it on with my sister, she actually is a volunteer at the hospital and she will go in and sit with people. I said, It was you. And she goes, Oh my goodness, I remember your sister calling me.
0: When I heard that, honestly, I couldn't believe it. A twist of fate, so beautiful, but also a reminder that even with all of the advancements we've made in medicine, it can still come down to a handful of right place, right time experiences that save someone's life.
2: Oh, for sure, right? So, I mean, it was more of a rant to my sister, and um, I really, to this day, say if it wasn't for her, I would not be here. And that is what I was told by doctors after I had started going through for my chemo's and my radiation. Had I waited till I was 39? No.
0: So for Joanne, with young kids and having seen her mom defeat an aggressive form of breast cancer already, it was imperative she keep a positive attitude and fight hard. So she receives a treatment plan, and it includes a mastectomy scheduled for almost eight weeks after her diagnosis on May 30th.
2: The treatment plan changed several times, and um, we we did the we did the surgery in May 30th, and then I started chemo July 15th, and that lasted till the end of October, and then I did radiation starting in that January, and that lasted till February 14th. So I did almost de- like I was off work for just about a year.
0: Joanne said that at times she felt like she was deep into her 80s, with pain all over her body. But she remained positive, even when she had to have radiation after the mastectomy and chemotherapy. And that's when she learned that the timing of it all, really pushing back and advocating for that mammogram, despite having no symptoms, is the reason she's still alive today.
2: So yes, the reason I had radiation after the chemo, which I really found out when I got to see my radiologist, was um, I had a mastectomy that was my first, um, surgery I had, which was, you know, remove the whole breast, make, you know, because they found spots and they just wanted to, to get rid of it. So I, I had that. So therefore I shouldn't have had to have radiation because they did like take all of the, there was all the chest wall, everything, all the margins were good around it. Everything was good. I got to radiation and the radiologist asked me if I understood why I was there for radiation. And I didn't, right? Because I thought I wouldn't have to have it. And he told me that I did have I did have a lymph node that was involved and it was my sentinel node, which is your main node. Um, and my cancer was actually growing on the outside of my lymph node. So it was called extranoidal, which is when I found out, he said, had I waited till I was 39 years old to get my mammogram, I wouldn't have been there. Because when cancer grows on the outside of your node, he said it's known to be more aggressive, which means pieces of the cancer can then break off and get inside your system where you can't see it, right? Um, So that is why I ended up with radiation, just like you say, maintenance, making sure everything, nothing got somewhere it wasn't supposed to go.
0: And through the turbulence of battling cancer, work was the last thing on Joanne's mind. However, Fate had a peculiar way of intertwining her personal struggle with her professional life. As she grappled with the challenges of treatment, an unexpected revelation emerged.
2: They kind of give you like a breakdown of how things are going to go and they give you some paper and they'll tell you the drugs that you're going to be taking. And I was reading them and I'm like, that, that drug there, that, we make that. You know, like I'm kind of looking at the paper going, and I'm talking to like some people I know closely at at work and then my husband's there and I'm like like that paperwork sits on my desk sometimes right like like you see right and I was just like oh this is this is interesting it was also the one that put me on my ass that was the drug um but while I was taking that drug uh, and I did get quite sick from it um The doctors wouldn't take me off it because they said it was too good. So there was other drugs I could have taken, of course. There was other stuff, but they said, no, this one is the best one to be on. We want to keep you on it. So what they did was they dosed me down. So they gave me a little bit less and got me through the treatment plan. But it's like an aha moment because you're at work. I'm more more in the finance, you know, administrative side of things. So people don't realize when you're working in a large company like this, that everybody counts, right? Like the people in the warehouse versus the people that are doing the administrative work versus people that are manufacturing the material, right? Like everybody has a part to play and you don't realize what a big part you're playing until you're sitting in that chair and someone's sticking a needle in your port. And it's like, you have to do this or you won't be here type of thing, right? It's like a full circle moment when you don't realize, you know, you go to work every day and you know, some people just don't have that realization, but I do now.
0: Joanne's own encounter with her company's life-saving product highlighted the crucial role that organizations like BioVectra play in this transformative era. As the lines blur between the personal and the professional, it's clear that BioVectra's commitment goes beyond just business. It's about enabling and empowering innovators to scale their products and ideas forging a path where breakthroughs can become accessible realities
1: for those who need it. You know, when you look at the current market or the the current clinical landscape, I think it's an even split between new lead candidates that are chemical and and biologics. It's not that chemical is going away. There will always be a market for that, right? Uh, But biologics are definitely on the rise because they're more targeted, you know, they they seem to have less, less side effects, you know, you can be very specific about, um, um, you know, certain diseases. Um, what it means for CDMOs and manufacturing in general is that you have to change your, your process train. You know, you have to make sure you have the right equipment. Uh, that means you have to do a lot of capital investment in order to uh, have state-of-the-art equipment, uh, state-of-the-art quality control, state-of-the-art analytical uh, testing equipment in order to, in order to do all these new processes. And that's investment. And that's why CDMO is is a very uh, capital investment heavy because you have to make sure if you want to play in this field, uh, you have to build build the facility for it and the capabilities around it. And that's exactly what BioVectra is doing, right here in Nova Scotia.
0: Thanks to them, world-changing medications are being developed and manufactured in our backyard. BioVectra is creating ingredients for mRNA solutions at their facility in Windsor and a brand new state-of-the-art R&D facility
1: in Halifax. And that's also a reason why CDMOs are so popular because not every company has everything, right? And the smaller the company is, the less likely it is that um, that they have that that uh, that capability. And even if you look at the big pharma guys, they want to make room for the newest drug that they're developing. So they would start farming some of the more established drug outs to, to maybe a, a, a development or a manufacturing organization. Early in the episode,
0: we talked about the shotgun approach that is chemotherapy. After the first 20 minutes or so of my interview with Mark, I could tell I was talking to someone who was tapped into knowledge that very few people have. And I wanted to take advantage of that. I wanted to know from where he sits, embedded in this industry. What does the future look
1: like? The future is really bright. You know, I'm I'm very excited. What's what's in front of us? You know, we have all these new modalities that are entering the market, like we talked about the biologics, plasma DNA, mRNA, you know, a lot more emphasis on on personalized medicine. So You know, what we talked very early on in the show and I talked about chemistry and chemicals and how it's more like a hammer approach where you're really just like, okay, I I, I give you this, I know I will almost kill you with it, but it it will treat the disease, it will help you in the end, but the side effects might be pretty harsh. You know, now we've entered into the biologics area where we can really target individual cells and kind of limit the side effects a little bit. But, you know, the next step is how can you help your 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 body to help yourself again? Right? How can you reprogram your body that you don't have to take any drugs in the first place? Right? When you look we think about cancer. Like cancer is, you know, your immune system immune system is failing you. It doesn't do its job. It doesn't recognize there's something inside you that, you know, shouldn't be there and, and it doesn't get rid of it. So it can grow uncontrollably and takes over and at the end if you don't get the right treatment, you know, you 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 die. So you know, there's there's new, new therapies out there, CAR-T, for example, or it's called like cell and gene therapy. So what it's done there is you take uh, some of the immune cells out of your body, you reprogram them in the laboratory to help them identify the cancer, and then they're given back into your body. And then your immune system, oh, wait a second, you don't belong here. And then it starts doing its job again. That's being done now. That's actually being done in Halifax already. It's still fairly new, and it's 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 starting. But that's the future of 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 you know how we will treat people in the uh, in in the next decades. It's more about very specific helping you as an individual instead of finding something that that yeah it will help you, but it, it it may not right or the side effects might be might be more than you want. So it's really. Helping your body to help yourself again. Uh, the, other, the other part is um, like, you know, personalized medicine where you can make batch sizes of one. right? We talk about scale up and all of that and making like large quantities. So what we are currently talking to quite a few companies is making individual um, uh, cancer treatments. And you can use mRNA for that. Because if I know exactly what uh, your cancer cell is and it's specific to you, I can isolate the genetic sequence, make the plasmid, you know, make the mRNA, and have then the mRNA or the plasmid help you, uh, you know, destroy the cancer. Yeah, and it's it's something we will solve. It's just a question of time and money. It it it, it's not a question if it's just a question when. For me, it's pretty incredible when I picture this.
0: You're rummaging through your medicine cabinet. Grabbing that trusty over-the-counter remedy after one too many glasses of wine, or a scratchy throat, or a fever, suddenly it hits you. This little lifesaver might have been cooked up right in your own backyard. Pretty awesome, isn't it? But here's the real kicker. What if the breakthrough for that stubborn cancer everyone's talking about is happening right down the street? That's the kind of magic happening at BioVectra with their state-of-the-art facilities practically in our own neighborhood. In this post-COVID world where mRNA vaccines are the talk of the town, BioVectra isn't just a company. It's a glimmer of hope creating not just jobs but a future where medicine isn't just a remedy but a revolution for healthcare everywhere. New Wave is a Life Sciences Nova Scotia podcast, and it's produced by Snack Labs. It's written and hosted by me, Taylor McGilvery, and it's edited by Brian Stever, Jeremy Saunders, and me. Sound design and engineering by Donovan Morgan. Special thanks to the team at Life Sciences Nova Scotia, Sean A. Walt, Doris Grant, Carrie Minette, Kira McGlinchey, and Lorraine Coring, And to our guests...